0: Hey there, Warriors. What's up? It is Jeff from WarriorLife.com, and welcome to podcast episode number 335. All right, I'm going to give you a quick heads up here. There is a lot of great information in this podcast episode. I really think, based on recent events, that security is going to get even tighter for armed Americans, and we may see more and more non-permissive environments where weapons aren't allowed. Now, in this interview with former CIA agent Jason Hansen, he and I talk about several sneaky ways that you can lawfully stay armed and self-protected with force multiplier weapons in areas that are unfriendly to firearms and don't worry about grabbing your notebook because we've done all the heavy lifting for you with this week's free show notes including a handy dandy one-page cheat sheet covering all the main points all you have to do is head on over to www.warriorlifepodcast.com and
1: download it all absolutely free and now let's talk tactics tactical firearms training urban survival close quarters combat Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast.
0: It's the challenge of manning an everyday warrior who understands the need to be self-protected at all times. I'm talking about the non-permissive environment or NPE. This is anywhere that you'd like to be armed and actually most often where you should be armed, but you cannot legally carry a gun, maybe not even a knife or other weapons with you in these areas. But MPEs don't have to mean that you're wide open for targeting or defenseless against an attack. If you have a clever mindset and a bit of ingenuity when it comes to adapting your self-protection plan for restrictive environments. So how do you arm yourself? What special tactical considerations become more important when you're not carrying your pistol or other tactical folder? How far should you bend the law to protect yourself while staying on the right side of local regulations? Well, these are questions and more that are exactly what we're here to find out in this week's episode of the Warrior Life Podcast. Hello everyone, this is Jeff Anderson, Executive Director of WarriorLife.com, with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. And with us today to give us the CIA perspective on MPEs and how to adapt to them tactically is Jason Hansen. Jason, welcome back to the podcast, man. Hey, thanks for having me back, Jeff. Always good to get your kind of uh, your insider perspective on and especially these kinds of topics. I know like urban escape and evasion is something that's very important to you and something you train people on. So I really want to I- I'm curious to really get your perspective on these types of things that we all kind of deal with. Um, listen, everybody, if you haven't listened to other podcasts that we've had with Jason, um, he's a foreign police officer who set his sights toward the Central Intelligence Agency, spending nearly a decade in the CIA, earning two exceptional performance awards and distinguishing himself among the other CIA operations personnel. Now, leaving the CIA to start a family, Jason continued his research and work using the CIA skills he developed to adapt them for civilian use so that citizens could be better prepared for everything from protecting yourself and those you love from a violent criminal attack to surviving during times of civil unrest and martial law. He's been featured on television Shark Tank, where he won a deal for bringing his skills and spy gear to a wider market. And his book, Spy Secrets That Can Save Your Life is a bestseller that frankly, everybody should have in their library to help you master escape and evasion tactics for worst case scenarios. Now you can learn more about Jason and his work over at his website at www.spysurvivaltraining.com. So Jason, when it comes to non-permissive environments, I, I, you know, it, it could be your job, it could be the bank, it could be on a flight somewhere at the airport, Um, it it can even be just in another state where you, maybe you're not allowed to even carry a weapon or something, but there are things that we have to take into account because we have these legal requirements of us, but we all want to stay prepared as well. So when you're, when you find yourself carrying or being in non-permissive environments, what are Maybe like the top three or so tactical considerations that, that change for you that you really kind of have to kind of keep foremost in your mind when you're in these environments, but you still want to stay self-protected.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it all comes down to no matter what, I'm gonna have some type of gear or some type of weapon on me. So I think a huge myth in the spy world is that, you know, every spy is walking around with a bazooka on him and 20 knives and you know, 10 Glocks and that kind of stuff and in certain environments you do have a gun certain places you do have a knife but if you're let's just say you're a spy on the streets of france if you're walking down france and you get pulled over by the cops and you get searched you obviously can't have a gun found on you can't have a bunch of knives and that stuff so you are in a non-permissive environment so when i'm going around you know one of the things that i love to do is just talking about gear is the nut on a string making i'll take a necklace put a piece of paracord have a huge nut that I bought at Home Depot, and you know they cost less than a buck. And that nut on a string, again, looks like some boring necklace, some decorative thing. But if you take it out and stop flailing it around, you can crack somebody's skull open in a heartbeat, you can defend yourself. So if I'm going through an airport in a plane, you know I'm not gonna have my nut on a string together. I, I separate them and then I put them together once I get through security. But in my bag, you know, I may have a paracord necklace and then the nut itself may just be sitting there in my laptop bag. And I go to the bathroom, I put them together. And, you know, that's just one of the examples of one of the items that I'll always carry with me in a place where I can't have my knife, in a place where I can't have my gun.
0: So besides like weapons, what is there anything like mindset wise that people should keep in mind when they're, when they're kind of in these environments, um, that maybe like, cause we always say like the mind is like the best weapon that we have. Right. Like, and I, and yep. I believe that's true, but so, but is there anything when they're in those environments, again, it becomes kind of more of like a, I don't want to say a fear-based thing, but it's like, you can feel more vulnerable. A lot of us that become very connected to our weapons, right? Like we train with our weapons, we're used to having our weapons and, And without those, it almost feels naked sometimes. Um, Are there any other tactical considerations, maybe from a mindset perspective, that change for you when you're in non-permissive environments, when you don't have those those
1: weapons to go to? I mean, I'm certainly a lot more cautious. Not that I'm looking for violence or I'm looking for a gunfight, but I live in the state of Utah. I carry concealed every single day. Um, Usually it's a Sig P365 in my pocket or a Springfield 1911 on my hip, but I've always got a gun on me. So I'm not worried. You know, not that, again, my small town in Utah doesn't have any ghetto areas or dangerous areas, so I'm not going through any bad place, but I'm not worried about going out at night. I'm not worried about walking through the Walmart parking lot at night, but if I'm overseas or I'm in some place, let's just say California, where my in-laws live, if I'm going to certain areas, especially passing through more dangerous areas, I'm a lot more cautious, meaning I'm not going there at night. You know, I may take a different route, even if it takes me 10 minutes longer not to go through there. Because, you know, even though I've got my nut on a string and some other weapons we can talk about later, they're not as good as a gun. They're not as good as a knife, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I'm absolutely more vigilant when it comes to situational awareness. I'm more vigilant, you know, checking my mirrors, making sure I'm not being followed home or I'm not being followed foot. So I'm more on my A game when I'm on these or in these type of environments.
0: Yeah, it's interesting also from kind of a route perspective or where you, where you I always, we always say like the best way to not get in a, a, a fight with bikers, stay out of biker bars, right? Like it's kind of a joke you always have in the industry, but it is interesting. So if you have like a, um, a an improvised weapon, like you said, like a nut on a string um, in these type of, like there might be environments that you're in that um, it's not going to necessarily be a targeted attack, like an active shooter. Wait, I mean, it can be in those areas, but a lot of times it might be just somebody that gets into a fight at the, at the bar in the, in the restaurant at the airport or something like that, where they're not like heavily armed themselves. They're not organized for an attack, but you're probably better armed than they would be in that non-permissive environment for a target of opportunity or something like that. As opposed to if you're, if you are visiting an area that you're not familiar with, you would better choose like to stay out of areas where people maybe are more heavily armed or have more numbers, or it could be a more targeted type of attack, like these criminal areas. And that if you're then that's an area where you're less armed than maybe somebody is because they're maybe looking for somebody. So that's it. That's an interesting. I think that's a good like tactical perspective when you think about it about how you really choose your route, how you choose your environment, so that you aren't underprotected in these areas compared with everybody else around
1: you. Um, yeah, I mean, I was in Puerto I was in Puerto Rico on business about four months back. You know, during the pandemic, and you know, I go to Puerto Rico every now and then business related. And just like everywhere else, it's got some really dangerous areas you want to stay out of. It's got some areas that are great. Now, I don't, I didn't have a concealed carry permit there, so I wasn't carrying concealed and all that kind of stuff. You know, another thing I like to do is, again, Puerto Rico, the gun laws recently got changed, so it's much better gun-friendly and all that. And it's not a horrible, non-permissive environment like in New York City or whatever. But still, I like to go into any grocery store and just pick up a paring knife. So you just pick up some small knife and whatever the Walmart equivalent is, of the town you're in. And for less than five bucks, I can slip a knife in my waistband and walk around with it. Now, of course, I got to, you got to know the knife laws. And even if the knife laws is caught illegal, do you want to take that chance and walk around? And obviously that's only a decision you can make if you want to do it. Um, but I have no problem going to most of these grocery stores, slipping a knife in my waistband, just so I have it in case.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Really good point. So another area that I want to talk about are kind of like the surprise non-permissive environments. And I, I just, just recently went through this. It's a good thing I carry I have <laughs> multiple things with me, but a lot of times I'm not carrying something that um, I can just get rid of because like, I just went through a checkpoint and, um, and this can be a checkpoint anywhere. It could be, oh, I forgot that I had this in my bag at the airport, which I haven't had I've been snagged a couple of times there. Some weapons I've seen allowed through the checkpoints, 12 times and then the 13th time is the unlucky number and it gets taken. But there are these kind of surprise checkpoints. You go into, I mean, one time I remember went in to go see the Sears Tower, and this was after 9-11. Uh, was in Chicago, went to the Sears Tower, and oops, I, I thought I could just take an elevator up to the top floor. Nope, there's a there's a it's a non-permissive environment. They were, they were confiscating things there. They had a they had a radar detector, they had the X-ray machine. There's a lot of these places that you might walk into and you could be armed in some way, shape or form, but you still wanna stay protected past that line because we always wanna be protected. But what are some ways for the surprise non-permissive environment that, and and again, I'm not looking to do anything illegal or slip anything by or any sort of Jason Bourne, like throw it up in the air and catch it on the other side. You know, Like I just, um, what are some ways that we can either Avoid these checkpoints or still be armed past them or get a weapon through that is legal, but, you know, would make it past most of these checkpoints, but would still allow us to be better armed legally on the other side.
1: Well, I'll tell you two things. One, and you mentioned Jason Bourne. I hate I hate how it it was great entertainment, but obviously, you know, ruined some things. But like a rolled up magazine, even though Jason Bourne make it look like you could kill 17 men with a rolled up magazine, it is still a great self-defense option. I mean, you smash it in somebody's face with the hard end. Once it's rolled up, you tape it together. You know, it does not feel good. I can attest to that. So having a magazine handy in the car, if you think you're going through an MPE, if you're going to the Eiffel Tower or whatever you're going to, you know, just carrying a magazine, you know, carry something nondescript, non-intimidating. You know, if you're in certain countries, you don't want to have ballistic magazine or the NRA magazine, obviously, pick, pick something boring. Uh, but that's a great thing that if you, it creates distance, again, you can shove in somebody's face, creates that space and window for you to escape. Uh, the other thing is I've been in these environments and depending on where it is, some of the security is so bad that one time I went up and I knew I wouldn't be able to carry a gun, but I thought I might be able to get a knife away with it. And I show up there and they got the security guards and they're like, empty your pockets, let me see everything. So I took my knife out and just palmed it. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna empty my pockets. It was, I had my uh, money clip there and underneath that was my pocket knife, but they couldn't see anything. And I just held my hands out. They wanded me, did the whole wanding thing, said, you're good to go. And then I put my stuff back in my pocket and it was able to get through with my pocket knife. Now again, I'm not recommending that thing, but I'm more confident, and you know, been doing those things more than once. Uh, So, and again, it also depends on where you go. I mean, you're probably not worried about the Eiffel Tower or Sears Tower, but if you're going to the real bad place, you may say, "Hey, I'm going to risk trying to get a pocket knife through here because my family's safety is worth it." So it's it's obviously a case by case situation.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I have a whole laundry list of ways that. Um, Or or times where, I mean, my son, I remember my son one time going through, we were going through the airport and he was only, uh, I guess he was maybe about like 14 or 15 years old. And he's a big blade guy. He does blacksmithing. He makes knives and things like that. And I just remember going, we were going through the Chicago airport and they caught, he had one of his knives in his backpack and the guy pulled it out. You know, it was kind of went through the x-ray machine and my son forgot about it. Mm -hmm. And his eyes just went like when the guy pulled it out, my son thought he was being hauled (laughs) off to jail And um, the guy said, I'm sorry, but we can't, you know, he kind of chuckled about it. But the guy said, like, you can't take this on. And so my son said, no, no, get rid of it. Get rid of it. I didn't mean to have it. Didn't mean to have it. He took it in there. And then all of a sudden, my son remembered like, oh, my God, I've got the other knife. And he had this like gigantic knife in the bottom of his backpack that he pulled out. Like they didn't even it's like they didn't even notice it or they got used to seeing they saw one and thought that was okay. This is what we were looking for, because it oftentimes gets passed on from like, hey, there's something in this in this, um, in this backpack and they go in there and they just kind of piece around it somewhere in the bottom. It might just be a verbal thing from the other, from the other officer or whatever, but again, not saying everybody go ahead and see how, what kind of bazookas you can smuggle through the airport. But um, it's interesting kind of the levels of security at different places. Um, Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, I've got a quick, funny, similar story to your son's is one time I was in JFK and I was in New York city doing some knife training and I had five blades on me. And, of course, traffic, you know, getting out of the city back to JFK is a nightmare. And so it took forever and I was going to miss my plane. So I did not have time to check my baggage. And I'm running to get to TSA uh, PreCheck, sticking my hand in my luggage, trying to find these five knives so I can trash them. But as I'm running, of course, I cannot find these knives anywhere in there as I'm reaching my hand in. So I'm like, screw it. Let's see what happens. So I go through TSA PreCheck. And the guy's like, hey, you've got two knives in your bag. You can't have these two knives. And I, you know, I'm thinking, well, actually, but there's five knives in there. You know, There's three other ones in there. But like you said, security is very different depending on where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very true. I and mean, I've,
0: there have been, I mean, this is all on topic with what we're talking about because I'm thinking if, uh, I'm, I'm assuming that the bad guys don't never listen to my podcast. They hate my podcast. Only good guys <laughs> listen to my podcast. But I mean, it is, um, it's is—it's so common at places like airports where oh, I didn't realize that was in there. And again, I've had knives go through 12 times and then stuff that I didn't even realize was in there was down at the bottom of my bag. And I pull it out like forever. And I've taken that, that backpack through so many times. And so um, it seems to me like even if you have stuff that you don't mind losing, if it does get caught, that. There's probably some times where it can get through and you don't really, you know, it's not going to be, it's not going to be questioned all that much. But then again, I've had things like the badge that I carry, um, just that alone has, has set off their warning signs. And they let me all, they always let me through it because it's just a pin on the back of the badge, but sometimes they pick that stuff up too. So you just never really know. You just got to be able to weigh out the risks and the benefits of, of you kind of going into those environments and what you take with you.
1: Well, I think one of the things that is perfect for this is one of the things we're talking about in the business is having throwaway items, so having a throwaway knife or a throwaway gun. So when these security guards are searching, you, usually low-level guys, not making a ton of money, so they're looking for one thing and one thing only. So if they find that one knife, they're like, okay, I found it. There's no other knives in there. Same thing as a lot of people I work with are like, hey, I want to hide my guns. You know, I'm worried about Biden taking my guns. How do I hide them? Well, one of the things you do is have a throwaway gun. So if, heaven forbid, a worst case scenario, you've got some government jackbooted thug knocking on your door, they just really want to be able to go back to their bosses and be like, hey, look what I recovered. So I have ghost guns. I'm a big fan of building ghost guns. So if you have some throwaway gun, you know, some gun you bought at the gun store, it's on the books, you don't really care about it and like it, which I own so many guns. I have plenty of guns that I'm like, yeah, I really don't like that one. You know, it was a bad purchase back in the day. So if you have that throwaway gun, we are like, yep, here guys, here's my, you know, whatever crappy gun you don't want. Then they go get back to fill their quota. They get to check the box and you've got all your ghost guns buried somewhere or hidden somewhere.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point when it comes to even just the mindset of people that are carrying out, carrying this out, right? like There are barrier is really, uh, there was a lot of really good nuggets of wisdom in there related to the mindset of the people that you are kind of challenged by. So good stuff. Uh, Listen, everybody, we've been talking with Jason Hansen of spiesurvivaltraining.com about how to stay safe and self-protected in non-permissive environments. And of course, we have a lot more coming up, including how to legally arm yourself in areas that you're not allowed to be armed, do-it-yourself weapons of opportunity anyone can use at a moment's notice. And also I'm going to ask them for some simple drills that you can do today to be better protected in even the most restrictive environments. All that and more coming right up. But first, check out this special message. In the last two decades, over 7,000 American soldiers have lost their lives on the battlefield. Yet in that same time period, we've lost over 100,000 to veteran suicide. And hundreds of thousands more of our brave warriors and their families continue to suffer every single day from the mental scars of war, otherwise known as combat-related post-traumatic stress or combat PTSD. Enough is enough. We're doing something about it. Our 501c3 nonprofit, Operation Save Our Soldiers, is helping to change the lives of our brave men and women struggling with combat PTSD with our direct sponsorship of an exclusive warrior retreat and a revolutionary new therapy that's literally putting an end to their symptoms and suffering in as little as just one, two-hour session without drugs or the old-school talk therapy pushed by the VA. The results are instant and permanent, but we need your help. Soldiers pay nothing for the solutions they receive at these warrior retreats, which means from time to time we have to ask for assistance to help sponsor their traveling attendance. With as little as just a $5 donation right now, you can help change the life of one of our brave soldiers and help them finally win the battle against combat PTSD once and for all. 100% of your tax-deductible donation goes straight to sponsoring a veteran's attendance so you'll know your gift will directly impact their life and get them the help that they need. Many talk about supporting our troops. Today I'm asking you to do something about it. Please help sponsor a soldier today by going to www.OperationSaveOurSoldiers.org. Okay, we're back with Jason Hansen of com, getting some tactical tips on how to stay armed and ready in non-permissive environments where weapons may not legally be allowed. So Jason, I, I, we always have to kind of like, I have to weave this throughout the entire thing. Now I'm not asking anybody to break the law. Although we've talked about ways, I suppose that people could be breaking the law inadvertently even, but um, in order to be legally armed, what are some, maybe some things that people can carry on their person? I know you're a big everyday carry guy. Like what are some, what are some legally allowed weapons i put weapons in quotes here for something that somebody can carry that they're not going to have to worry at all about going through a checkpoint about going to the airport about being in a non-permissive environment being in the bank being wherever that people might not think of as weapons but with the right training or with just a, a few simple skills could actually be seen as a weapon or something you could do even beyond that beyond that point maybe
1: Yeah, so we started talking about the nut on the string, but I'll tell you three more. Um, One is the flashlight. I have a tactical flashlight. It's solid metal. You could crack somebody's skull open in a heartbeat. It's on my nightstand. I use it for home defense. But when I travel and I'm traveling right now, I'm at a hotel as we speak. I always keep it on the nightstand in the hotel. So flashlights, you can go through the airport. You can carry them with you. You can carry them on your hip. And if you whack somebody with that, as I said, you're going to do some serious damage. So I'm a big fan of flashlights. That's one of them. Uh, Second one is a tactical pen. Now, tactical pens, I've been hearing more and more people have been getting them confiscated, and it depends on what airport you're going through. I personally have traveled all over the world with my tactical pen. I've never had an issue. But what I do is when I'm going through, I take the cap off, I put it on the other end, so it kind of hides the pointy end, and then I just put it back in my laptop bag. Again, I've never had an issue, and tactical pen is great, and I've had people from all over the world who've used it to save their lives. So I think that's something you should always have with you. And then another one, and this is more similar to a nut on a string, is get a, a gallon Ziploc baggie, one of like the quality ones, not a cheap one, and just fill it with some change and carry it in your pocket like you're carrying around change. And the gallon Ziploc baggies are big enough that if you take it out, and again, same thing, if you're using it as a flail, if you're swinging around and you whack somebody with that that uh, sack full of pennies or quarters or dimes, you know whatever you put in there, that's going to hurt also. So nobody's going to question you. If you have, you know, some pennies, some quarters, whatever in your pocket in a Ziploc bag, it looks normal, uh, but it can hurt and be used as a self-defense weapon.
0: Yeah, there's some really great options. Um, One of the other things that uh, I've I've talked about this a few times on podcasts before, but the soda cans on flights. Um, One of the first things that I've always done is kind of take that thing and take it into the restroom there. Uh, empty it and then crinkle it back and forth. I mean, anybody's been ever been cut on a, on a torn Mm -hmm. um, soda can, but those things can be just squashed down. And basically you can make a very, very razor sharp knife that can be used for personal defense in environments like that. Um, Again, I'm, I'm really happy that bad guys never listen to my podcast, but that is (laughs) a, um, but it is one thing that I've talked about before about it's, it's a good example of a weapon of opportunity beyond the um beyond the checkpoint and that's kind of where I wanted to go next what are like um we talked about oh that's one but we talked about also like using a newspaper or rolled up magazine so in these non-permissive environments what are some other maybe some some weapons of opportunity that can either be used or crafted from things that are there um that you don't necessarily like basically if you don't not carrying
1: anything on you well, the one that let me jump back and say okay. is going through uh, checkpoints. A lot of times people have backpacks, you know, Taurus and they open the backpack, but you see the carabiners clipped on them. Mm-hmm. And so carabiners are great for brass knuckles. So if you get one of the larger carabiners, a quality one, and you put it right over your knuckles, if you punch somebody, it's going to smash anything in its way. So nobody thinks twice of having a carabiner hooked to the back of your backpack, going through the airport, going in, you know, courthouse, wherever you might be going, that's an MPE. And so that's one of the things that I'm a fan of that I also have on my stuff. Just because you can slip it over your knuckles in two seconds, everybody knows how to punch. So it doesn't need any skill or anything with that. Um Now, as you said, okay, what if I'm in there and I don't have anything on me? What if there's no tactical pens, no nut on a string, no nothing? I'm just looking for any hard object. I mean, I'm keeping it the kiss kiss simple, you know, keep it simple, stupid. So is there like a loose brick? Is there a glass that I can throw at somebody? Um, You know, there's the old cliche of uh, smashing a bottle and making it jagged. So, you know, I know guys for survival purposes, long story in itself, but you can make a spear where you break off a bottle, put the end of the bottle on a a piece of wood, and then just tie it around or tape it around. You have a long, jagged spear for emergencies. Now, not something you're going to do clearly just walking into the Eiffel Tower, Sears Tower or whatever, but I'm looking for anything that can cut somebody, can smash somebody. And I'm not looking to stand over them and beat them to death. I'm just looking for that window of opportunity for me to escape. So what is going to buy me some time to get away to protect my family and get to safety? Yeah,
0: that's a that's another really great one, too. And and just just the mindset itself. I hope people are really getting into the mindset and understanding that you're not you don't have to be defenseless in these areas, no matter how much. I mean, they're designed to make you defenseless. Right. So, um, yeah, that's that's freaking awesome. Um, So what are some again, because maybe because it does come down to mindset and really changing the way that you think about these things, what can somebody do? Maybe some drills or something that people can do practically, maybe even, you know, today that will help them shift their mindset a little bit, Be understand that they don't have to be defenseless in non-permissive environments. Um, is there anything that they can do training wise to, to be better repaired in these situations?
1: Yeah, it's going to sound goofy, but it's practicing getting out whatever you have on you. Meaning like, it sounds cool to say, okay, I'm going to keep a bag of quarters and a Ziploc bag in my pocket, or I'm going to keep my tactical pen, but how many people have actually drawn it and tried to strike with it? So I have one of those training Bob dummies in my home office. And so whatever you have on you, wherever you have it stored is practice whipping that bag of quarters out and whacking somebody in the face, you know, the dummy in the face or practice taking your tactical pen out and stabbing somebody in the neck. If you can't get to it, then clearly you're not putting it in the right place. So I think that's one of the biggest things is you can have the best weapons in the world, but if it's buried at the bottom of your laptop bag and you haven't practiced accessing it easily, then it's not going to do you any good. So just practice getting it out and how you would react in a, heaven forbid, really bad situation.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I think the other thing that came to my mind when we were were talking about all of this is to really make it a challenge for yourself that when you are in a non-permissive environment to really be more conscious about what's around you, like even just being able to identify maybe, you know, challenging yourself, like with what are three weapons that I have, like within a few steps reach from here or within arm's reach. If you're at the bank, are there pens that are located there on the Um, You know, it might be easy, it might be faster to get to a pen that's on the counter than it is to get to your tactical pen, which might be in your pocket or, or something like that. But to be able to challenge yourself to look for weapons of opportunity, no matter where you are, is probably another really good kind of mental exercise that somebody
1: can do. No, that's a great point. Cause I, I do that. And what I do is I look for my exits. I look at other people and I look for weapons. So kind of a trifecta things to do. So if I'm going in somewhere unique, I'm like, okay, what are the two exits Because this is the exit I came in, but what if this exit is blocked by an active shooter? I need to know an alternative exit to get out of there. Then I'm scanning everybody. And when I say I'm scanning everybody, it's not like I'm spending 10 minutes memorizing every feature. I'm just looking up and down and saying, okay, you know, white male, six feet tall, brown shirt, brown hair, black pants, whatever. And it just keeps you mentally sharp. And at the same time, I'm playing this goofy game in my head where, okay, that guy is huge. What if that guy all of a sudden comes and attacks me? What's nearby me to grab? Um, you know, I work out five times a week, even though it doesn't look like it. I actually do. And so I'm, I'm in this gym and some of these guys are just huge. You know, they're jacked up and they're on steroids. And so I think to myself, all right, this guy is, you know, 10 times stronger than me, twice the size of me. What if he just went nuts on me? What am I going to use? Now, thankfully that hasn't happened, but those are the kind of mental games that I play with myself and it doesn't take me long. You know, it's something I can do in less than 10 seconds and it just keeps me sharp. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, The good stuff, man. I always love this. Why? I always love having your podcast. I feel like I've got like 37 different things I could write down right now. They're just cool little tips that I can put into my own self-protection program. So, uh, so awesome. I really appreciate it. Listen, everybody. um, Jason's stuff is really unique. It's really one of a kind. And for those of you, I know we have a lot of people that are, that have are on our newsletter that have have contacted me and said that they really enjoy the email newsletters that he puts out because there's true value in them. There's really, there's actually tips in them, which is not all that common these days. So uh, there's actually really good advice in there. So, and his, his, a lot of his products are, they're based upon stuff that he would normally use or, you know, as a, as an agent somewhere or in field operations. And so it's really, really cool stuff. I, I highly recommend you go check it out. Um, Go over and look at his stuff over at www.spysurvivaltraining.com. And until our next Warrior Life podcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train and survive.
1: Train, survive.